Hey guys, it's Andrew here, and welcome to the e-commerce Seal Podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure plus owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. Thanks so much for listening, and unless... I'm not doing my job. You've probably heard I'm hiring a community manager for e-commerce fuel, but time is quickly running out here. There's less than uh, about about 24 hours left to get those applications in. And if you're wondering why you should, you know, do this instead of go to Uncle Fred's barbecue this weekend, perks the job. You get to connect and learn daily from seven and eight figure store owners, a lot of freedom and autonomy to execute on big projects, work from anywhere, full benefits, retirement, profit sharing, uh, health insurance, and a full month long sabbatical every single year. If that sounds intriguing at all, you can learn more and apply at ecommercefuel.com forward slash community dash manager. And I hope to hear from you. So today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Bryce Adams. He's the founder of a company called Metric, which I would describe as the Swiss Army knife for WooCommerce stores. And I'm having him on partially because he knows a lot about WooCommerce. And then we did the Shopify episode last week. want to talk a little bit about WooCommerce this week, but primarily because getting to know him, I realized he had built bootstrapped a extremely profitable business with himself as the only employee team member. And I wanted to learn how he did that. Not only that, he'd been able to do it in a way that didn't sacrifice the quality of the product or the customer service, at least as far as I could tell, talking to half a dozen other people who used the product and loved it. So thought there'd be some cool lessons there to, to explore and dive into it. And indeed there are. And so we talked a lot about that. And then like I alluded to, we also talked about WooCommerce, what's going on with WooCommerce in 2019, subscriptions on Woo and a bunch of other things. So it's a fun episode. Hope you'll enjoy. And, and ref, you know, speaking of Woo, before we jump into the official talk, you've got to give a big thank you to Liquid Web, who if you're not on Liquid Web and you're running a WooCommerce store, you need to check these guys out. They have a ton of deep expertise in the space. And they built a product that is designed to give you all of the customization and flexibility of WooCommerce without all of the uh, stress ulcer inducing problems that come with managing your own software. Managing your own software is not fun. I do that for our private review directories and it's a nightmare. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend doing it with, with WooCommerce. And if you want all the benefits of Woo without the headaches, Liquid Web is who you need to check out. So you can get started with them for as low as 39 bucks a month and you can learn more at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web. And then secondly, a big thank you to Clavio who helps you build meaningful relationships with your customers by understanding and responding to their personalized cues. And if you've been left in the lurch by the Shopify and MailChimp drama, the breakup, the heartbreak, and you're not going to have an email list that syncs up with your store come May 16th. I can't, I can't do a very fake impression like that. Uh, if that's you, <laughs> you should check out Clavio. You probably should have migrated to them a while ago. They're best in class email marketing for e-commerce. And you can get started with them for free. Test drive them to, to make sure that I'm not lying to you here. So you can do that ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. And they've got a really cool documentary series as well on email marketing. Highly recommend. If that sounds like something that'd be fun for you to watch on a Friday night, I'm kind of a geek. I like that kind of stuff. You can check it out too at ecommercefuel.com forward slash beyond, B-E-Y-O-N-D. All right, let's go ahead and get into my discussion on how to scale up and bootstrap an incredibly profitable business with Bryce. Bryce, I'm going to kick it off with a question I'm pretty sure I have never asked on the podcast. And that's, uh, tell me about how building a nightclub in Asia impacted your ability to build your business. <laughs> uh, you've done some good research. I didn't really think much of it at the time. I was just living, I'd been like traveling, like backpacker after um, 
after school and and ended up in Laos and I was like met some people and then one thing led to another and all of a sudden I was involved in uh, setting up this new restaurant bar that was different to the the next part but it was it was like a nice experience and then all of a sudden someone said do you want to help like build this nightclub and I, I really hate nightclubs it's You'll never see me at one. Even I've got friends here that are like, will sometimes say, Bryce, do you want to come out on Saturday night? We're going to like this club. And I'm, no, <laughs> definitely not. I've spent enough time in them. The thing that attracted me to it, and it's probably, you know, similar to a lot of people when they start a business, you don't always have to love like what you're doing, I think, but you can love the process behind it. And to me, that was really exciting. Like the idea of we've got this rectangle piece of land. We went there with like a ruler, like a measuring tape. And we started measuring. We're like, oh, we could build something here. And and it could be anything we want it to be. Like there's not really any uh, rules here. So let's just see what we can do. And, and, and to me, that was really exciting and, and a really amazing experience. It's interesting though, the next part you were saying about like impacting my ability. <laughs> you know, ability to build metric. <laughs> the, the thing that I thought was interesting was, was when I was watching one of your talks, prepping for this a little bit, you mentioned that when you were building metric, your company, uh, your, your software company, that it gave you almost like, it gave you this, this, cause you were able to build a nightclub in three months, I believe. And you thought like, well, if we can build an entire nightclub in three months, I, I should be able to build a software app. And, and, and so it, it's sort of like, it gave you kind of some fire and some motivation to really get that done early on. Yeah, I know. I forget that sometimes. It, it was a really quick process. I remember we started looking into it in like February and then we'd opened in May. So it was like, yeah, like three months from just the idea to actually making it. And, and yeah, it's it, it, that's 100% true. Like if you can do something on that scale and there's so many things like that happening on a daily basis, like it, people putting up buildings now in, in months and, and things like that, where you kind of think if all these large scale things can happen that quickly, why is it going to take me so long to build this software product? And of course, it's not like a direct comparison, but I think just to me, I was. It made me think when I really wanted to do something quickly, and in that situation, we had to do things quickly. Just you know, there's, there's time constraints, money, all those reasons. Especially in La- in Laos and Asia, the middle of the year can be like rainy season, June, July, and and you can't really <laughs> build very successfully in that period while you're in like a third world country. So <laughs> that was also a, a very big time crunch. But I think when you put yourself under those constraints, and comparison to that, where we're talking about you know the rainy season having to build get it built before then maybe compare it to when you're starting a business you've got a certain num- amount of runway like how long can you survive financially and i think it's similar to that oh when i started my very first e-commerce store 100 percent, i had a you know 12 months to runway ish or so and, and i've never been so productive in my entire life i don't think i i don't think i ever will be yeah i think that helps you one thing i was like that, that i think we both like and really excited to dive into is you've bootstrapped the business to 500k annual recurring revenue. The business is really only a couple of years old, I believe, two two and a half years old, which is just just phenomenal. I mean, in terms of, uh, it's really impressive, and it's even more impressive because it's just you on the development side and the customer service side, right? Like, it's is is there anyone else on your team? Yeah, yeah, no, it's me, and but it, it's never really felt like an issue in terms of that, like being on my own. So it's it's one of those things I don't really notice very often. I'm just like, sometimes someone will mention it. Is it just you? I'm like, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, but I mean that's just—I mean that's just phenomenal. I mean, you think about the margins on software, especially if you don't have a bunch of expensive developers, are are they're very good. And <laughs> you think about an e-commerce business, the equivalent of that. Let's say somebody can make, let's say generously, they have a twenty percent margin, so they're doing a two and a half million dollar e-commerce business all by themselves to generate that kind of bottom line. I mean, line you had that. someone like that on a couple weeks ago, right? Doing like ten, eight figures or something, which is like one employee. Yeah, which is crazy, but that's definitely an anomaly. And so for, for you with, do you have any like rules or frameworks or philosophies for bootstrapping? Like, obviously, I think I'm, I, how do you, 
uh, talk about why you love bootstrapping, but maybe even more importantly about that. Like, how do you how do you make decisions about what what to spend your time on, what to invest in, and because it's impressive how you've been able to do this without outside fund without outside funding. Well, I think so. Now, yeah, we're probably now it's over five hundred. It's actually pushing probably closer to seven hundred, and maybe even um, I think I mentioned to you a while ago. Like the goal is definitely this year is to try to get to a million just on my own. And I think it's interesting because it's kind of separate to what you were saying. But I think you know when I started, I remember thinking to myself like I had some friends that were doing similar kind of software products could be WordPress plugins, could be a SaaS. And, and a lot of them were very transparent about their numbers. So when they would say to me like, Oh, you know, we just passed 20 or 30 and they're, they were also on their own like me. And sorry, when I say 20 or 30, I mean, monthly recurring revenue. And and when that, I hear that, I thought like, you know, I know these people, they're my friends. So it's, it's not like you compare yourself to them, but you, it's easier when you know someone and you know them as a person outside of their work to kind of relate and, and, and not compare yourself, but kind of say, well, if they did that, I feel like it is within the realm of possibility to do something similar. So you're like, John shows up, he spills beer all over his shirt. He, you know, like he's, he's a hot mess sometimes. If he can do this, so can I. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, why not? (laughs) But it's a little bit like that. And I think, um, so at the start, I I was just kind of watching my friends and seeing all the success they had. And I said like, you know, they managed to get to 30 or 35 monthly recurring revenue. I was like, I should be able to do that. Like I'm going to push myself to do that. And it kind of gave me a constraint that I didn't have, but I would, it was almost like, why did I need to hire someone? Or why did I need to spend this amount of money on advertising if they didn't? And it's not, of course, it's just the different businesses, different people, so many differences, but I kind of put that to the side a bit and tried to just say, well, if they could do it, let's do something similar. Now though, to be honest, as it's going a bit beyond that, it, it does get a little scary because there aren't as many people I can kind of look to for the same path and try to follow what they've done. So that part is scary. But anyway, that's a bit separate. So you are asking about the rules and frameworks. And and also, I suppose, you know, a good question that people always ask me is why why didn't you take funding? Because I think with SaaS, especially after you get to that part of like getting three or 4,000 monthly recurring revenue, you've proven like there's a, you know, I don't love the term, but like product market fit. Yeah, at that point, it's pretty easy to get funding if you want it. So a lot of people always ask me like, why didn't you get it? Or why don't you still get it? And I think for me, it just came down to like not aligning with my goals. And and I think that's something you always should probably have when you do anything, especially a a business or a product, have a goal. Like, what's my goal? I want to make X amount of money a year. I want to spend this many hours a week with my family, or I want to sell it for this much. Like everyone always has a, I, I like to think that they have some kind of end goal that they're working towards. And for me, getting funding did not align with getting to those goals at all. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on small as an advantage? Because you've, I was telling you this before we started recording, but you, the people who I've talked to that use your product are just rave about it. And one of the things you do really well is you, you know, you, if somebody calls up and has a feature request that they'd love to have, not always, but a lot of times you'll implement it like in 24 to 48 hours. If there's a bug fix, you'll fix it immediately. And like that, that just shocks people. And partially it happens because you, are the owner and there's you, I mean, you're, you're, this is your company and there's no way you can replicate that. So being on the front lines and, and having that ability to not only hear it from the customer to have, you know, it, it's important to you and also have the ability to execute it yourself on the code is, is pretty rare, but people just aren't used to that. So do you think like being small for you is a huge advantage, even though on the revenue side, you're not small. Do you think you're going to be able to keep this? Like, do you want to scale up? And if you do, like, do you think it's going to be hard to keep this level of quality that people come to expect? That's a really good question. I think 
it's it's not something like I I always think you know if metric stated exact point it was now and and I've been saying this for like a year in my head like even a year ago wherever it was at I don't remember exactly in terms of revenue but let's just say at twenty thousand monthly recurring revenue or something like that if it just stated that forever I'd be very content because I'm doing something I love it's more than enough money for me right now yeah I was, I'd be okay with that so it's always been like that and that's why I don't actively seek growth like probably many other apps. I don't do you know much advertising. I think I've got some Google ads at probably like $500 or $600 a month. I don't, I don't do much content. And, and these are things I, I probably should do. That's what like the industry is telling me, you should do this price. But I'm like, maybe I don't need to. And if it just keeps growing, great. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. And I think that kind of comes back to that same approach why I didn't take funny. I didn't want to be like under pressure to have you know 15% monthly growth every month forever and all those constraints. So I think it's something I want to avoid i don't ever want to put myself in that situation where i've got like just such it's at such a large scale that i end up having to hire five people and ten people and i and then features take time because you've got to negotiate with other teams about what they're doing I, I just right now it doesn't appeal to me and i'm i am someone who i think can change their mind when the evidence presents itself but right now i'm, I'm pretty <laughs> i've convinced myself that like it's not something i want yeah, I feel like humanity has this really hard to resist temptation to something is good. It starts out great because of attributes A, B, and C. And usually those attributes are like somebody cares deeply about it. They put a lot of time and work into it. It's small and intimate. And then they take the things that made it great and they scale that, but then it loses all the things originally that people loved about it. It's like that old Yogi Berra quote that's like, oh, the place is too crowded. Nobody goes there anymore, right? And, you know, I, I think... I've thought about that with the community too, because it's we have our community. It's it's fairly capped, but like, why not just be happy with a certain revenue threshold and profitability threshold as long as it's you know something that can sustain your life and then you're not uh, you know it's it's a good place to be. And if you if you're okay with being small, you can be way pickier with who you have as customers, who you have uh, as community members, make sure they're the right fit, the right people, they match your values and goals. You can invest more in the people that are there. Yeah, I wonder if if kind of small and super high touch, I mean, because that's the way too, you think about a lot of merchants today trying to to compete with Amazon and other places to shift to the e-commerce side. But that's how they differentiate themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to beat Amazon on scale. No way, you know, but you can beat them on some of the techniques you've used to just create an awesome product and great fans. Yeah. And I think it comes down to the saying, like, what is my goal? And I think sometimes it's good to think in monetary terms, just because it's, it's easy to kind of do things to get to those points. So let's just say someone quits their job and they're like, I just want to make 200,000 a year. I used to make a hundred at my job. 200 would be amazing. If you can do it by yourself and get to that point, yeah, okay, you could then start hiring people and maybe you could maintain that 200, but all of a sudden you're like revenues 2 million, but you've got, you know, 10 employees, you've got all these costs, office and all these things and then all of a sudden you're left with the same 200 you had when it was just you. And and some people will say, "Well, it's easier now I've got 10 people that do stuff." But I don't know, at least in my experience working with teams and 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 those relationships and maybe you can also chime in on that, but it's definitely not easier to have 10 people's lives relying on you. No, I mean, you can do more, but it's, I've never heard anyone say, you know, usually it's 100% absolutely in the short term, hiring people is a net drain on resources. And hopefully over time that lets you do more stuff. Hopefully, that's the, the key word there. And, and it really is like that. You don't, there's no guarantee, but I have a, a guarantee on my ability and what I can do. I don't, I don't love being like the, the, not the roadblock, like the, I don't know, the best metaphor for it, but like the only kind of, 
yeah, the kind of the bottleneck to my own thing. I don't love that because, you know, there things can happen. Like last year, it's probably a year ago now, I broke my ankle. Not a you know, major injury, but I had to go to the hospital, surgery and do that. So I'm offline for like a few hours, not a big deal at all. But there's always, you're always thinking like, well, you know, what if I I'm, can't get to the computer for a couple of days? But a lot of those situations don't necessarily get solved when you have two or three employees. Maybe as you start to scale to 50 or 100, 150, but then all of a sudden uh, something happens to the CEO or one of the team leads gets injured. Like, I feel like these issues don't really disappear at any point. So it's silly to try solve them by hiring. Like that's not the solution. The solution is maybe better communication with customers and having stuff in place to handle those situations and processes. That's probably a better solution than let's just hire as many people as we can and we'll just be unstoppable. Yeah. Let's shift a little bit to, to WooCommerce. Uh, so the so metric, the platform, the software you've provided, talk about a little bit that in detail in, in just a minute, but it, it integrates and really makes WooCommerce, uh, does a lot of cool stuff with WooCommerce. All your customers are on WooCommerce. Why do you see people picking WooCommerce over the tons of other options for, for platforms that are out there for shopping carts? I think it comes down, there's a few like things that always stand out. Customization. Anyone using Wool will say that it's just you can customize pretty much anything. And that the next part of that is that it's open source. So the code is open. You run it on your own server. There's no reliance on a third party. And I think that's something pretty amazing because you own the data and no one can say you can and can't sell this. It's especially a problem with some industries like, you know, in America and Canada, like the CBD industry. I've seen a lot of uh, those merchants get kicked off other platforms in recent years and then have gone to Wool because they're like, well, what I'm doing is not illegal. But I want to do it. Like I've got a bank that will help me charge credit cards. Why can't I do it? And I think who is a different approach where it's saying it's your, here's the software, here's the tool. You do what you need to do with it and, and you run on your own server. And there's not as much dependence on third parties. And I think that's something that's really amazing about the platform and, and really any, any kind of comparable uh, software. Also, other big reason I always see is that uh, with Woo, there aren't like high fees that you'd normally see on other platforms in terms of there's no there's no monthly cost that you pay to WooCommerce. WooCommerce is just the, the code, the software. Then you run it on a server. You'll pay something for your hosting, which might be as low as 10 or $5 a month, but as high as a couple hundred or 500, a thousand, depending on how big you're getting. But you're never really paying a percent of your transaction except to the payment gateway. What have you seen change with WooCommerce over the last twelve months? Over you know, we're February. We're recording this February two thousand nineteen. So over the last last twelve months, what big changes have you seen in with the platform? Well, like you know, any anyone who's not familiar with WooCommerce, it, it runs as a plugin on top of WordPress. So WordPress tends to dictate what all the plugins on it do. If WordPress wants to focus on a certain part, like the API, which was in it was like two thousand sixteen seventeen, then plugins are going to start to adopt that with. The last year, the focus has been on something called Gutenberg, which has, has been a bit of chat about that in e-commerce fuel in the forums about that. I think <laughs> people are scared, but also excited. There's a, there's a, bit, a bit of everything going on. That is pretty much just like a new page builder for WordPress. So kind of giving you the same page builder experience you get with uh, Wix and Weebly and all those platforms. So the focus in WordPress has been on building this whole tool called Gutenberg for doing that. And, you know, in turn, Woo kind of has to, and should adopt a lot of that stuff. So they've been building, they're called like blocks for adding products and things like that. That's definitely been something I've seen change. But also, Woo has definitely, like the development of it has definitely picked up. And there's been a, a bigger focus now on let's do updates frequently, but not ones that will break anything. Like a, a big focus on backwards compatibility. And that's so important for e-commerce stores. So I'm really happy to see that because there have been instances in the past where there's been a big update and I've seen 
like most of my customers who have updated affected by it and they've got to roll it back and it becomes all these issues. So for me, it's really nice to see that Woo is conscious of that and making efforts to improve it. And I think customers notice it. Do you see, it, it seems like, and I'm by no means an expert on this, this is taken from half a dozen anecdotal experiences talking to people, but it seems like for subscriptions, WooCommerce is used more so than you would ex- expect based on just you know averages of adoption on the shopping cart across the board. And I think, I think Shopify is probably getting a little better with this with some of their plugins recently, but it seems like a lot of times subscription owners are are on WooCommerce. Is that something you've seen like WooCommerce kind of, I don't know, specialize in, but do, but do particularly well? Yeah, exactly. It is it is one of the things that you can do very well with Woo. And I'm not sure the reasons for that. I think it does come down to the fact that there isn't an official, like there's an official one, but it's not made by Automatic and WooCommerce. It's made by this company called Prospress, also an Australian company. And that's like the semi-official WooCommerce subscriptions plugin. I think that's one of the reasons why it, it does well because there aren't like five or 10 options where they're all like really good at one thing, but bad at everything else. Like WooCommerce subscriptions is really good at everything because it's used by everyone and it has that kind of feedback loop with everyone using Woo. So it's, it's one of those things that Woo does really well. I think it's something that Shopify and I'm sure other platforms will you know, catch up to and, and do similar things with, but I don't know. It seems to be that, yeah, everyone that is doing subscriptions ends up wanting to use Woo for it. And maybe that does come back to the thing I mentioned before about customizability, like just being able to customize the flow for a subscription store is very important. It's not like the same as any other store where you just want to buy a button and then take them to checkout. You need to, you know, handle that recurring process. And I've seen some stores where they want to charge on a certain month, but they want to ship on a certain day. Sorry, they want to charge on a certain day and they want to ship on a certain day. Or they need to let their customers choose the products before. And, and when you start to go to those extensive customization, perhaps Woo just ends up being a better option. So for someone who's listening, who's on WooCommerce, it's selling subscriptions are going to be, what two tools would you recommend in addition to, uh, to Metric, of course, which does a ton of cool stuff with subscriptions in terms of like, uh, I run a subscription business. So being able to like the fact that you're calculating, are there a couple tools in addition to yours that you that are really are fantastic to have and really helpful if you're running a subscription business on Woo? There is one that comes to mind and it does some similar stuff to Metric. It's called Automate Woo. And it's actually, it was acquired by that team behind subscriptions, Prosperous. It was acquired by them, I think, last year. That one is really good for WooCommerce subscription stores because it lets them do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally do through Metric, like automating when a subscription status changes to this, do something like that. Kind of like Zapier and Ift, that approach, but built inside of Woo. It does a really good job at that. So that's really the only one that comes to mind. But when, yeah, when I think about that, there aren't many because no one's, no one's trying to build a solution just for Woo or just for subscriptions. And, and that's okay for me. Like, I don't mind. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to <laughs> fill that hole, but <laughs> it is, it is a little disappointing that everyone has their eyes on like, you know, making, and it's always, always like the, what we spoke about before, but you have to like make millions of dollars. I need a big team and everyone wants this like huge pie. And I'm like, well, I'll just take my slice over here. So now it works out really well for you. One thing that, that metric does really well is, is segmentation. You can go in and create all sorts of customized segmented reports to give you, man, I mean, everything you could get, you know, give me the average order value for, for people who uh, you know order just from uh, just from Montana and have bought this product, all these kind of things, right? You can get really detailed. So, can you give a sense of like what what ways are people segmenting well? Because this isn't something that that I did well. I don't think uh, I don't hear a lot of talk about people doing this well. But what if you have something? If you have the ability to segment some of your data, what are some of the actionable things that store owners listening could could do to be able to get 
uh, what kind of insights could they glean that could help them make more money with it? Well, it's it's interesting because it, it 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 does depend a lot on the store, and I will hear a lot from my customers that they'll say like how they had to segment for something and like why they had to do it, and it's always so interesting to hear what people need a segment for, like what they need a segment and why. I've had some situations where there's been like you know unfortunately like a natural kind of crisis or like a weather event in America or somewhere in the world and all of a sudden they can't ship to there for a couple of weeks so it's really good for them to be able to segment those customers and tell them like don't worry we know we can't ship to you we hope you're okay but we'll ship to you next month like that kind of communication can be really valuable so it does depend on the product what's going on in the world and who the customers are but I see like a lot of people having success with just this really simple stuff that's it's pretty obvious and and when you think of it but it can be thinking of it can be something that takes time um something like just targeting customers that haven't ordered in a long time but also looking at things and saying well our product should be bought every three months but this customer has an order in four months like that's where it's not just a matter of saying they haven't ordered in a year let's contact them it's like they haven't ordered in this amount of time that makes sense for our business so sometimes you need to actually look at the reports and the data to say what's the average time between an order let's say it's 100 days okay if it's been 120 days something's up let's contact them let's offer a coupon so a lot of segmenting should happen based on actual data and insights you have rather than just your like feeling or what the industry is saying but then you know on the other hand i've seen some really cool examples of segmenting when people are trying to optimize on the business side of things so they're saying okay well let's segment and figure out where our high value orders are coming from like what area and maybe we can then focus more on fulfillment in that area or where of the payment method for a bank transfer like what do those orders look like and how many of those have coming up as failed or cancelled or refunds like seeing which type of payment method gets refunded the most whenever you start to get those insights you can actually make these massive changes just based off those insights that can have you know huge impacts on the business can you with metric can you go through and uh, and maybe you answer this because you alluded to it a little bit can you segment Things like revenue, average order size, uh, the number of times people have purchased based on the channel they come in on from acquisition, let's say it's organic, let's say it's paid traffic, something like that. Yeah, you can segment by like the source. I, I think that's saying that Woo doesn't do amazingly. It's always a little frustrating that like, I'm not sure, I think Shopify does it out of the box, but it'll track like where the source of a customer is. Do they come from, you know, organic, paid, Facebook, an email? And what are the UTM parameters they've got in the URL? That's something that I think a lot of platforms do well. Who doesn't have that built in? So it's a bit of a pain because when they start using metric, I start tracking it, <laughs> but it, there's no data before. And I hate that because I, I love the idea that you like connect your store and you have all this data and insights for the last like five years of your business, but there are little, those little parts missing. So yeah, they, it doesn't track that and it's a bit of a pain. But if once it does start tracking it, once you start using metric, you've got that for all the customers. And then you can start to look at that and say like customers that come from Google, what's their average value compared to the ones that came from Facebook and and what can we do to make them order more? Uh, what what do you see? Like you're based in in Melbourne, in in Australia, and not Sydney. We should clarify Melbourne. You know, you you see, of course, you're intimately familiar with with the Australian market, both from where you're in e-commerce, but also just living there. But then you also get a chance. I'm guessing, if I've gone a limo, I'm going to say the majority of your customers are, are probably outside of Australia. I'm guessing largely in the U.S. What, what kind of differences do you see between the US and the Australian markets right now? Like I've always thought you also have the chance and obviously you got to be sensitive to confidentiality here, but you also can kind of get an aggregate sense of some of the metrics from your Aussie merchants versus US merchants versus other places. 
I've always, it always seems that Australian market is much smaller, but much less saturated. And some of the, the conversion rates I've heard reported from Australian merchants just make me drool being here in the United States. I think Australians are happy to spend money <laughs> in some ways. It's, it's weird. Like we're, we're just happy to sometimes to get nice things. Uh, and I think that's, that's like kind of being in the shadow of the rest of the world. We're always kind of behind on some stuff and it's just maybe our geographical location. I also see like a, a few less subscription stores in Australia. And I think that's a little bit of a newer thing for us to, to adjust to paying 20, 30, $40 a month for a certain service. While I see a lot of subscription stores coming out of America now and, and they're all doing really well. So it's something that I think consumers are starting to be more. What about, what about uh, just average conversion rates between US and Australian stores? Do you see conversion rates on average higher in Australia? I haven't really looked at it enough. I should. <laughs> I could look at that on an aggregate level and, and try to get some insights there, but I haven't I haven't looked enough to give you a, a good answer there. I, I do just see though a lot of growth in Australia. Because one thing I do notice with metric the pricing is like based on your order volume. So I'll just get like a little message every month when the plans change for someone, just uh, because they've been growing. So someone might have started with four hundred orders a month and now they're up to eight hundred orders a month, so they've gone to the next level automatically. So I will see that happen a very high percent of my Australian customers are growing very quickly like that compared to other areas. And I think that does come back to the fact that you kind of said before, it's less saturated. So when you do find something that you can make work really well, like I've got one customer, a friend actually has like a dog food company in Australia. I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning it. it's called like Scratch Pet Food. He just started not too long ago, but just it's, it's just amazing to kind of see uh, when you can make a product that really customers can really relate to and get behind. It'll grow quickly because Australia isn't big, but we don't also have that many options. So when you find something you like, you tell all your friends about it and then it, it does grow quite quickly. Yeah. We've been talking about, I mean, I mentioned the metric at the very top, but also been dancing a little bit around it. That, of course, is the software that you have developed for, for WooCommerce. And I want you to just talk, talk quickly about who it's for and why you know, a WooCommerce store owner would use it. What are you trying to help people with? Yeah, I try to be like kind of said before, but the co-pilot for stores. And, and it's something that I didn't really start off doing. The first goal was always just build something that makes reports better. Because I'd run a WooCommerce store, I'd worked at WooCommerce, and there was never really anything um, great for just seeing how much money you've made and, and looking at it in a really like nice, beautiful way like other platforms had. So that was always the first goal. But then all of a sudden, people wanted segmenting, they wanted exporting, they wanted emails. And, and I was like, well, I guess the only way to describe it now is like a co-pilot. And by that, I just mean... You know, someone's running your store and I'm just there to, to fill in the gaps and, and help automate things and, and just make running the store a little bit easier and, and save them some time. So it's really just for any WooCommerce store, especially those using subscriptions do tend to get a lot of value out of it because it has a lot of those features. But really anyone that is pushing past the couple hundred orders a month mark gets a lot of value out of it. That being said, I've got customers that have just 10 orders a month. They're still happy to pay for it. But they don't get as much of a return on investment as like some of my customers that are doing two or 5,000 orders, 10,000 orders a month. Those are the people that really get a lot of value out of it because all of a sudden you have this huge amount of data and you need a way to understand it, analyze it, and then actually make actionable changes, like start sending emails and doing those abandoned cart emails and things that are very obvious to all of us that in the e-commerce world, but not as you're growing your store. Yeah. I, like I said, I got, got super good reviews from a ton of members. And one thing that was cool as I was kind of looking through things was the multi-store feature you rolled out. So you can, it sounds like you've, you've got some custom functionality that lets you manage multiple Woo, WooCommerce installs all from one dashboard. Is that right? Exactly. It's That was actually a 
more difficult than normal featured ad because I'd made a choice, um, it's probably around a year ago, to move everyone's data to their own database. So behind the scenes, it doesn't really mean much, but I kind of use that metaphor, like you know, the traditional database for most platforms that you're using, like, let's say you're using MailChimp or something like that. I'm not sure what they're all doing behind the scenes, but you'll normally have like one spreadsheet, one database that has everything, but there's something that says like this this data belongs to this customer in our system. And that really didn't sit well with me because as you start to grow and you have a lot of sensitive data, I just don't love that it's all like sitting side by side with other people's data. Oh, it's just a honeypot, man. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it, I don't know, it gives me anxiety. So one of the big changes I made there was to move everyone to their own database and, and they're on different servers everywhere. So that was quite difficult technically, but also it does make things a little bit more expensive to run, but I'm okay with that. Like I've built that into the pricing and everything. So that's okay. Yeah. Bryce, this is, uh, this has been really fun. I'd love to love to wrap things up if you're up for it with a lightning round. So we'll go through, I'll give you about half a dozen questions. Just do your best kind of in the spirit of the lightning round, super, super rapid fire answers. And if you're up for it, we'll dive in. Yeah. Let's try. Yeah. So what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Probably home ownership, like having a mortgage. And, and for a long time, I was really against that. I was like, no, you sh- don't buy something if you can't afford it. But as I've kind of grown up a bit and I've realized that people sometimes you need to to make not necessarily those sacrifices, but compromises to have a good life for you and your family. So that's something I was yeah always against for a long time, but now I can understand it a bit better. Well, what are you currently spending too much money on? Uh, uh, probably records. I buy too many records. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to jump ahead because I had a couple at the end here. I know you're a big jazz guy. So speaking of records, who's your favorite jazz artist? Anyone who's big into like jazz or any music, I guess we'll always say you can't answer that. Probably I do love uh, someone called Donald Byrd, jazz artist from America. Just amazing, amazing artist. But also I'm really into Japanese jazz. And there's one um, that I love, Ryo Fukui his name he passed away probably like five years ago but just amazing music and just very underappreciated in the scheme of things what's something you're not spending enough money on records <laughs> <laughs> i spend too much on it but i need to spend more it's never enough <laughs> uh, i love it good thing you got a growing business here what's the maximum number of days you can wear a pair of jeans without washing them <laughs> the honest answer that's <laughs> probably two weeks is that the honest answer or is that like the answer that you're giving? Are you actually like a two-month guy and you're trying to hedge because you don't want uh, people to be disgusted here? Two, two months is too long. But that's only the only reason I don't do that is because I have I, I'm like I'm very easy. I just get like Uniqlo jeans. I love them. And and like you just you know, you find a pair of jeans you like and you just keep getting them. And I just I'm like a little like I, I purposely went out and bought like five pairs just so I didn't have that situation. So I don't know the actual time because like you've got to balance it a little bit between all of them, but it's probably around two weeks on average. Maybe three. <laughs> What's one of the top three things on your bucket list? Something you absolutely want to do before you die? I don't know. <laughs> this one, I, I think, I don't know. I try to take the approach like if there's something I really want to do before I die, like I want to do it today. Like work and wait a little bit. Like I'll go do that. If I want to go skydive, well, that's like my bucket list. I want to go do it now. But if I had to choose, I've always, I always like kind of dreamed of doing a big like house renovation or building a house, like not myself, but kind of designing it and putting it all together. That's probably, for most people, their nightmare. <laughs> it appeals to me. No, that's great. That's great. Well, Bryce, this has been, this has been fun, man. I'm so glad we got introduced. And uh, just getting to know you over the last couple of months has been, has been a lot of fun. And, and congrats on building a, a really, really cool product. So if you're on WooCommerce, uh, I've talked to half a dozen, if not a dozen people who just haven't heard anything bad things about it. So Metric is the name. It's spelled M-E-T-O-R-I-K.com. 
Bryce, thanks so much for coming on and talking bootstrapping, WooCommerce, and, and jazz, man. <laughs> Love to do it again soon. If you're listening to this and you own your own e-commerce business, and chances are probably pretty good that you do if you've gotten this far through the episode, you need to check out our private community for store owners. It's a, a vetted group of over a thousand store owners and experienced professionals. And the reason it's different is, is just like I mentioned, it's vetted. We go through and we require all new members have a seven-figure business. They actually have experience in the space. And we go through and we review our applications to make sure everyone's legit when they come in. And then once everyone gets inside, it's not a free-for-all. We, we moderate in ways where if people are being jerks or you know behaving inappropriately, we toss them out. If people come in and do nothing but ask questions, we toss them out. We really value experience. We value reciprocity. And it's a place where you're going to be able to connect with other store owners to learn what's working, but also make good friends. Like some of my best friends I have met through this community. And I know that others can say that as well. So if you're interested in learning more and applying for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And also, again, want to just say a big thank you to the two sponsors that make this show possible. First, to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. You can learn more about them and get started for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. And also to Liquid Web, who offers hands down the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store online with plans starting at just 39 bucks. So if you want to learn more about them and how they can supercharge your WooCommerce site, you can learn more at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, listening, really appreciate you and looking forward to catching you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.